Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled Customs and Rituals Why We Take Off Our Shoes by Kathy Lamo Jackson. Have you ever wondered why we have so many customs and rituals at Columbus KTC? We will explore many of these and Kathy Lamo will answer questions from the Sangha. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Texum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. I hope you're all doing well today. My name is Kathy Jackson, sometimes Kathy Lamo. Um, my, the second word is a, a Tibetan word, L-H-A-M-O. And I've shared several times, I wasn't happy when my teacher gave me that name. During, I did a short retreat and uh, he said, don't you like the word goddess? And I said, not, not really, I don't identify as a goddess. And he said, you missed the point, it means to see the divine in everyone. So I hope everyone today is able to see the divine in everyone here as you go home and with the rest of your week. Normally before we begin any type of gathering, we always say some prayers together. So, and today, by the way, the talk will be on all the customs that we, all the things we do here that are maybe different from a church or your daily life. And I just, you probably, after you've been here for a month or two, you probably don't even notice they're different, but they are. So if you're new, I welcome you. And if you've been here forever, welcome. And if you're bored, you can leave at any time. It doesn't offend me. <laughs> so let's do the first prayer. It's called the refuge prayer on the laminated sheet. And this is a very sacred prayer. Once you, when you become a Buddhist, this is the prayer that you, you do. And so we normally, to talking about customs, we normally always put our hands. It's called Anjali. Um, it's in the prayer mudra. So it looks like this, and it's not flat, but slightly like you're holding a gem at your heart. And so you hold it like this. But if you're holding it, for me, I have to hold this this way. So I just put one hand up. And we sing it with a tune. So we're going to first say the Tibetan once, the all four lines, and then we'll do the English twice. And you can follow me and don't worry how you sound. We normally sing it with a little tune. And normally the person that's a chant leader kind of hits a little note to start with to sort of make sure I'm in the right range. So I'll start now. Um, Sanje Chodan Suki Chonamla Jan Chu Bardu Dani Gatsuchi Dagi Jin Suki Pisunangi Drola Benchil Sanje In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. 
By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. In English, one more time. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. Thank you. We'll do the other prayer later. So the next prayer will be the seven branch. We'll do that in a little bit. <clears throat> so I'm not used to teaching live. This is still strange. This is my second time. So please forgive me. My husband thought, no problem. I'm going to be doing this at my house today. I said, no, I have to go in. So this is very exciting to be here. So today I thought, are, are any of you ever wondering all the different things we do and why we do them? Or do you just all take it for granted? So let's, let's talk about kind of starting from your, when your experience, when you first come to the Buddhist Center, you're asked to take your shoes off. Now, in my house, I don't wear shoes, but my husband does. <laughs> so some of us at home carry some of these traditions onward. Um, and if you've ever lived in Asia, um, and you go to large Buddhist sites, Buddhist pilgrimage sites, um, you might have to walk a very long distances in shoes, I mean, without shoes. But the, the main, and by the way, I think the only real rule that holds, and it's one of our real few rules, is you don't wear shoes inside here. You wear socks. You can wear indoor shoes. A lot of people that are in charge of the shrine would wear indoor shoes because sometimes the hardwood floor is hard for people's feet. And you don't necessarily have to park your shoes downstairs. You can park them up here by the little shoe rack that's up here. And why is this done? Well, remember Buddhism started 600 years before Christ. So it's, it's over 2,600 years old. And so in ancient times, they didn't have pavement or cement. Um, they had, you know, dirt walkways, but it, it was dustier and dirtier and just in terms of a practicality, keeps things a lot cleaner. And it's also a sign of respect to come somewhere where you take your shoes off. So I think the most important thing today, everything I say is, but you don't have to do it except in here. That's one of the few ones that we really don't want anyone to wear their shoes in here. And maybe I'm completely going off grid like usual, but maybe the very next thing might be your feet. Um, when you're in a shrine room, you normally don't point your feet, the soles of your feet, towards the shrine. This is the shrine if you're new. Um, and this is because your feet are considered the lowest part of your body, the kind of the dirtiest, and it's kind of a sign of disrespect. Well, for me, I'm a bit of a wiggle worm, so I'm always moving my legs around, but if your foot just slightly kind of moves around, that's fine. We're just talking, just don't point them straight at the shrine. So, so I've taken care of feet. <laughs> and if there's any questions during any of this, this is a very impromptu little talk today. So did anyone find it strange to be told to take your shoes off? No? It's a very progressive times, I must say. <laughs> um, and the next one would be prostrations. When you walk in here, you might see people do prostrations. And now I'm going to call upon my assistant, Lama Tom. And so all of you know this is Lama Tom. And you know, I, 
I, I'm completely not following my outline, but that's fine. <laughs> Just put it here for a second. But when you come into a shrine room, um, and this is called a shrine room, or gompa, which also means a place of meditation, this specific room, um, sometimes you'll see people wearing very different clothes, and they're very specific clothes. So all of us are called lay people that don't wear lama or monastic clothing. Lama Tom has completed a three-year retreat, so their newer style of clothing is to have, he's wearing a wraparound skirt, correct? So the guys have to wear skirts too. And I think they like, they're very comfortable. And a, t a top of usually yellow or burgundy, but they now wear a white shawl. So some of us own white shawls, but we would not have the rest of it. So, so this is Lama Tom, and could you please stand up and show a prostration? We do prostrations not to worship the Buddha, but to honor the divine within. And the Buddha represents that of body, speech, and mind. So could you do a half prostration? Thank you. So he comes down on his knees, his hands, and his, it touches his forehead to the floor. So that's a half prostration. And when we come here, we normally do three. You're not finished. So um, could you do a full prostration to show them? A full? So when there's this very special teacher here, or if you're in a very um, inspired mode, you can do a full prostration when you come in. You would normally do three. At home, we do practices where we do 111,000 of these, along with a mantra and visualization called Ngundro. Thank you. So you saw he completely stretched out. Thank you so much. And lastly, could you show the one like I would do? I had a stroke, so I can't do them as easily. So I just do a bow. And so we, but, but the thing that's common to all, thank you so much. <laughs> the thing common to all of these prostrations is we touch our forehead, kind of the heel of our, I mean, of our hands to our forehead. So in, in Tibetan Buddhism, which we practice, this is considered um, the body, the speech, and the mind. I know it's the heart, but we call it the mind. So you would always put your hands to your forehead um, sort of this way, and then to the throat, and then to the heart. And then you go down and do your prostration, just to let you know. And um, when you leave the shrine room, you never do prostrations. I remember the first time I was at the monastery, I'm doing, I'm like, no, no, no. And I don't know why. I don't know all the customs. I'm just listing maybe things that are a little different from your normal day at a Catholic church, which is my old tradition. <laughs> Some things are very much the same, the donation box and all of that. <clears throat> so um, are, any, are, there, are there any new people here today? Completely new. Hi there. What is, what what brought you here? Did they drag you here? Or you just came voluntarily. That's so nice. So, as, did you see the people doing these things I'm talking about today? Okay. And was that unusual? Okay, cool. I mean, because of YouTube and television and so many movies, we we've seen all of this, but. When I became Buddhist in the 80s, it was kind of a little different. I would go to the monastery, and I think the first week or two, I just kept sort of keeping track of, what are they doing? Why are they doing? And I would ask everyone, and they would tell you right off. So again, the purpose of the prostration is 
we deeply revere the life of the Buddha and all the teachings of the Buddha, of course. And so that is why we do prostrations, to bow to that wisdom, to that grace, that compassion that we all have within us that we are developing. So this is a wonderful practice for someone like me that's full of pride because I have to not only bow to that, but also to that and everyone else. So it's a very beautiful practice, and we do something that Lama Tom, I, this is not a plug, but he teaches a wonderful um, sort of next level practice that we do called Ngundro, and that includes um, doing a lot of prostrations. It's a very beautiful practice. Okay, so let's see, moving on. So you're in the shrine room, let's talk about sitting. Sitting is a really important thing. Um, did most of you go to the beginner's meditation to learn how to meditate? That helps a lot. If you haven't, you might want to try that. Sometime it goes on concurrently with the meditation at 10 o'clock in the morning. Or it's always free. And um, it's from 10 to 11, and they teach you all about basically the basics of the center and how to meditate. But so at our center, um, we've always had uh, wood floors, so we have these beautiful cushions probably from Samadhi Cushion. If you want to get a good cushion at home, you get a Samadhi Cushion. So we have the big squares called Zabutans. It's been a long time. And then the square box for the really tall people use these little square boxes here that's empty here. That's called a Gamden. And then a lot of us use these smaller ones and also the round Zafus. And so I think the biggest secret for meditation when you begin, oh, so you have two options in this, three options in this place. You can sit on the floor on a cushion. You can sit in a chair. You can stand. And, or you can do a little bit of everything. Um, some people who have injured their back, it might be too hard just to sit the whole time on the floor or even on a cushion. So all of that is fine. I think that's, everything is pretty much allowed here. But I think it's important to note that. And, it's not unusual to move around while you're meditating. That's wonderful if you need to make any adjustments, especially if your legs are going to sleep. Are there any questions so far? This is everything everyone knows. I'm sorry I'm boring you, but I just thought it's important to hear this a few times. And I, I did write this here. It's okay to leave the shrine room at any time. If you need to use the restroom, if you need to step out, if you have a call that's really urgent or a page, Go for it, that's fine. And when you come back in, you would do the, thing, the prostrations again. Oh, sure. Oh, good, I get a question. Uh, I think you mentioned not doing prostrations outside of the shrine room. Uh, if you have your own home shrine. Oh, no, uh, you can do prostrations anywhere. Okay. Gotcha. So, yes, I have a, a shrine room at home and I do it. Okay. Um, and some people in Tibetans, particularly, um, do something where. They, it's called Korwa, it means circumambulation, mm. and they go around huge pilgrimage sites, um, and they usually wear leather on their knees and on their hands, they have metal plates, they have it, have it all down, and they do prostrations that way, wow. even outdoors, so okay. sometimes you see mothers with kids on their back, and... Gotcha. Yeah, so okay. yes, you can absolutely do them at home gotcha. um, in front of your shrine. Yeah, thank and you. And what if you don't have a shrine, you can still do it, just imagine. Mm. We always have our imagination. So just imagine the sky is filled with Buddhas, yeah. and we're prostrating to them and all their teachers, and then your teachers. Yeah. Great. Thank, Thank you. you. 
a question. For those that have just walked in, I'm talking about kind of customs that you might take for granted that we do here. Um, next, let's talk about, I did talk about prayers before, just for a moment. So at our center right now, we pretty much just give out one sheet of paper. And it's, these are considered sacred prayers that, have, that are hundreds and hundreds of years old. And the Tibetan script, which is on most of them, is considered very sacred. Thank you, Lama Tom. I saw that. <laughs> and normally, it, you don't just put it on the bare floor for several reasons. It's, they're kind of considered to be respected. And if it's on the floor, very likely you're going to step on it by mistake or step over it. So we try not to step over any images or prayers. And once, when you become a Buddhist, that's kind of part of um, some of the list of things that you're encouraged to learn to do. So I just want you to be aware of that. And what do you do if you, your prayers are burnt or crumbled or damaged? Um, they can be burnt. Um, and if it's a large set of them, you can send them at different places and we'll tell you where that is and they will burn it there for you. And the ashes are considered very sacred. Often people save the ashes. So now I'm going to talk about once you enter the shrine room, and let's say there's not a lot going on yet, and you have a few, few minutes, please always feel free to go up to the shrine. And over the years, it's going to get very interesting when we get our big statues in and fill the walls up with all the, the pictures and everything. Um, and it's really nice to get to know your shrine keeper. Today, we're graced with Julaine is sitting in the back in purple. And um, she is the shrine keeper, and she's almost always here during the break. So in the old days, we would go up and maybe light up a stick of incense, which I just learned today we don't do <laughs> because of different reasons right now. Um, and, but it's, it's really nice when at home, if you have a shrine, and there's been, we've had a lot of classes on your home shrine, but at home you can offer incense. But sometimes we don't offer it here because some of us um, have asthma or other sensitivities. Um, so sometimes we just have scented water or something. But um, I think it's nice to know Julaine and nice to know that you can bring flowers. Some people bring different little offerings. Um, is there anything that people bring that is okay? What was the last one? Oh, packaged food, right. That we, and some of it could be here or it could be blessed by being on the shrine and then distributed to everyone. Or some people bring things here to be blessed and then they take it and give it to the animals. So um, maybe not right now because we're going through such transition. But eventually, sometimes people bring bird seed and we take then that out later on. Okay, so that's the other thing you'll see in here. I mentioned um, kind of different how we look differently, some of us. So there's a lay people. Let me. I'll start at the top. So how many of you were here when Kempo and Kempo, the two Kempos were here a few weeks ago? Great. So um, they were full. They're actually Kempos, so they're abbots. They're a little higher up than a lama or a monk. And they, so they've had very specific training, almost sort of past what a PhD we have here. And so they were wearing the robes of a monk, which is a burgundy shawl. And then sometimes they're different shades. 
And then they would have the yellow shirt and then the burgundy. Um, it's, it's more of a tube what they wear. And they have a special belt and everything. So they were the teachers and that's why you would see so much activity when people, when they would come in, people would stand for them. And I would recommend for any teacher, all the llamas, Lama Kathy, Lama Tom, Lama Adam, or any of the visiting teachers, you can always stand for and prostrate. For ordinary people like me, you don't have to do that at all. But I think it's very important when they're there to just know you might have walked in, done your three prostrations, gotten your cushion, gotten really cozy, and then they come in. And everyone pops up, um, some of us slower than others. And, and that's why you see me, I'm always just standing in the back because I can't do all those steps. Um, and then we do our prostrations and then we sit down. And then you might see somebody come forward and give them tea or whatever they wish to drink. That's kind of the traditional way. Um, when during um, the empowerment or at the end of the whole event, people often give them donations. And so, and you might see people with these little envelopes we just use regular envelopes and put money in them. Why do we do that? Because they're actually monastic. In ancient times, monastics did not touch money. So that's one reason it's put in envelopes. In Tibet, the envelopes, are, did you see the ones in Tibet? Envelopes are beautiful. They have all this artwork on them, inscription. And sometimes if you're at a Chinese food store, you'll see these tiny little red envelopes. They're my favorite. So often, I was just um, at our retreat site in upstate New York with Marilyn, one of the instructors here. And um, the night before I got in the car, I sat there and often we make donations when you're, okay, I'm really shifting gears here. When you're in a bigger group, let's say there's 50 monks or more, and sometimes that might happen here. Let me tell you, things are gonna start happening. <laughs> when we start working on consecrating the shrine after the statues come in, when the statues are being filled. So it's really nice to make offerings to as many monastics as you can. And it's not unusual to give them a dollar donation in the little envelope. So I'm sitting in the house, putting in all my envelopes. Certain people get five, some 10, some one. I still have envelopes left at the house and I'll just keep them there for the next visits. But it's nice to do, and during parts of the puja, somebody will let you know or you'll see somebody start offering and you've all seen the white scarves again that's the tradition of not to touch cash or anything so we have these beautiful white scarves and we put them on the tables of the teacher or hand them to the teacher and they put it on your neck but sometimes if it's too busy they just put you just put it on the table and then you give them the donation and you can then go around and give everyone a donation all the monastics and you don't have to give them all scarves so there's a lot of play in that, but it's just nice to know. It's a nice form of generosity, and, it, and only give so that it doesn't hurt. That's very important. Be really practical in your lives and donation. Now that I'm talking about donation, which I didn't expect to go through so much, we have this, <clears throat> I guess it must be a new donation box here in the Shrine Room. I, I, I'll keep wondering what that was one day, and I realized that's what it was. And so um, if you're ever inspired, of course, most of us do things online, but I don't know if I even have a dollar on me. <laughs> I'm so used to using my phone for everything in a hospital, but you can do things online also. So donation is a nice practice, just a little bit here and there, doesn't hurt. And the center, we're not paid by anyone. We support our monastery. I don't know if you know that. 
So it's really important to start learning how to practice, I think, a little generosity. All right. I think I've gone through a whole lot of different things here that I didn't expect to do. What else you might see in the shrine room? So I talked about sort of the main two um, people that have had extra training would be the Kempos and, and the monastics and then the, the Lamas, that, those three different groups. So they will maybe look a little different. And then something that you, you might, sorry, I use this in the hospital for people. What you might also see are people sitting here with doing their prayer beads. And I don't know how many of you have a prayer bead. This is called a mala. It's 108 beads with a few little gigas on it for counting. These are, I have four different counters on here. And um, if you do any of the practices besides shamatha, uh, for instance, the, the pujas of Sham of Chenrezig, Marilyn leads Green Tara here. We're gonna be doing Medicine Buddha soon here. We do all of this online now. But at a certain point, we do mantra accumulation. Or um, it's just nice to, and so we say mantras on each of these beads. So my mala kind of covers all, all the different practices I do. I'm talking, you've probably heard Omane Pemihong. That's very good. So this is how we keep count. And so I don't necessarily keep count, but it's a nice tool sort of my connection with keeping my body and my mind together is using your hands, I think, and the mala is, is very, very practical. And whenever a teacher is here, you just do this when they walk by and they'll just touch your mala and bless it. It's always nice to get extra blessings. So, and so you, you might see people sitting here, even during shamatha, doing their beads quietly. Or you might see people with a little thing that they're spinning called a prayer wheel. We have hand prayer wheels. I have a solar one in my shrine room. I love that. Um, and when you've traveled through Asia, there's a place where we spin. Are we gonna have prayer wheels here? Will we have prayer wheels installed here? Outdoors, we might have some outdoors. Do you know Julaine? Okay. So sometimes there's these big things and you just walk by while you're doing circumambulation and you spin these things. Has anyone seen a big prayer wheel? They're really nice. My favorite YouTube video is little kids like spinning it and then holding on, riding it. Um, it's, it's like 10 feet tall, it's really beautiful. So those are some things you might see people do. So does anyone own a mala? Which, what is yours made out of, Helder? Sandalwood. Sandalwood, very nice. And this is lotus wood. I've told stories before. Um, my friend lives in Nepal in a monastery, and one day she smelled something really unusual. And there were all these young monks who took over the kitchen um, on, during off hours, and they were roasting their beads so they looked more ancient. <laughs> so people love their prayer beads. I've, this thing has gone through the washer so many times, but it's, and it was white when I got it, but um, this is lotus seed, there's different woods. Um, and a lot of people like gems also. If you do Medicine Buddha, you might have lapis lazuli. If you do green, you would do malachite. People who do chenrezig sometimes do mother of pearl, um, sometimes crystal. So there's a lot of different style of beads. And at every center, you'll always find somebody who can repair beads. I don't know who does here, but usually someone can't because they inadvertently will break. So are there any questions so far?
All right, let's talk about the stupa. How many of you have gone around the stupa outside? Okay, so the stupa is full of relics, meaning when the Buddha died, there were many types of relics that were found. So when his body was cremated, um, there's, there's sort of a miraculous event that happens where special relics are found. And with any high teacher, there's relics. And so a lot of us wear things, do you have a gal on? I usually, I don't wear it that often, but my gal is full of special relics, and so it's, they're full of blessings. So the stupa outside is emanating blessings for the entire world, and, and it's really nice as a Buddhist to circumambulate it going clockwise. And you would usually have your prayer beads or just, just, just to walk around and just think of really positive thoughts for the world. And I always love going and whenever you go to any Buddhist site, 99% of the time they go clockwise, and I do not know why. But it's sort of like you know spinning it just by walking physically around. You're spinning the energy. And so um, walking around the stupa here is very special. We also have prayer flags now. Have you all seen the prayer flags out back? You can buy prayer flags for your home. And every time the wind blows, the mantra so is just full of mantras. Whenever the wind blows, the mantras just go off, and mantras are special sacred symbols, and they emanate blessings throughout the universe. So it's, it's really nice to have all these little things around you to continuously remind yourself of all the sacredness that's out there. Well, are there any questions at all? Oh, great. You guys can ask me anything. I can, I, if I don't know what I want, I'll let you know. Hi there. So on the mala, does it matter if you draw the beads towards you, away from you, or um, right hand, left hand? You know, that's a very, so I remember I used to use my right hand thinking it was better to use my right hand. But now with malas, I, I was, but later I was trained, um, you know, because of Asia, you use one hand for wiping. Mm. I'm sorry. In Asia, you always have an assigned white hand. This is my white hand. And so, um, and normally, when you have your beads, you're also turning the pages of a text. So the right hand gets the text, the left hand gets the mala. And I'm glad you asked this. Normally, we always pull the beads towards us. So the beads are going towards me. I'm going, going, I'm not usually this fast. But it's sort of like in Blockbuster, not Blockbuster, what is it, Ghostbuster? You don't cross the, the light, you know, the stream. You don't cross over the guru bead. The, there's a big bead here called a guru bead that has mm -hmm. whole three holes in it. You just turn the mala back around and go back around. Okay. And okay. if you like, you can always, I could show you more on a personal level how to do that. That's helpful, thank you. Okay, great, thank you. And you can keep the, you can wear the mala around your neck, around your wrist. Um, I, I always see pictures of Richard Gere. He always has one around his wrist. But, um, yeah, however you like. Hi there. Hi. I have a question. Is the microphone too high or? Probably. Are you good? But you can move it. Go ahead. I have a question about the prayer wheel. I've seen people have a hand one. Yes. They're spinning it. Oh, thank you. So anyway, I wondered what the practice was associated with that. There are actual practices for using a prayer wheel to, um, in other Buddhist traditions. Ours is more um, for accumulating merit. And so I'm so upset I forgot to bring, no one has a prayer wheel here, do they? I don't want to take your prayer wheel apart. But if you take it apart, there's 
usually a roll of a paper roll really thick with thousands and thousands of mantras. So every time you spin it, again clockwise, and there's a little weight on it that spins with it and takes a moment to, it's all in the wrist when you do a prayer wheel. Mm -hmm. um, and just, so when I do practices at home, I'll have a moment where I just do prayer wheel. Um, I, many times when I used to live at the monastery, I would see Tibetans watching TV with their beads in one hand and their prayer wheel in the other hand, because <laughs> they always want to emanate merit, you know. Um, but we don't have a specific practice, and that might be a good question for the lamas at some point. Do you know if there's a practice for prayer wheels? I can't hear you. What? Oh, that would be nuts. So if you didn't hear that, Lama Tom said, when you're spinning the prayer wheel, you visualize that the mantras are, are emanating out, removing all suffering, right? And offering blessings everywhere. It's, and often, if most prayer wheels are filled with Omana Pemi Hong, which is Chenrezi's practice. So you can visualize Chenrezi. Is there a Chenrezi in back of me? Is there a Tonka? So that would be Chen, the white is Chenrezi. So you would visualize that. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking. That's a great question. We have all these Buddhist, I shouldn't rename this the Buddhist toys. <laughs> we, um, as human beings, love, I think we love to use things where we're using our body and our mind, you know, not just, like for me, shamatha is a beautiful practice, but it's hard for me. I much rather do visualization practices because I, I need a little bit more activity going on. But everyone's very different, which is I love about Buddhism. Um, and then kind of moving into pujas for a moment. At our center right now, we mostly do shamatha here. But I believe Marilyn does green tara early morning on Sundays. And so are the benches lined up and all that? OK, great benches, by the way. So during the puja, it's a very different environment. It's louder. And if you go to, I would say, come back here in about four months, it's going to be even louder because we're going to be playing drums and a lot more instruments when we do a puja, which is so much fun. Lama Tom just got back from our monastery where he played drum. And I was in Amitabha retreat where I got to play drum. We're talking the big drums. We don't have the big ones yet. but. Mine was a medium. I only had a four-foot drum. You had like a six-foot drum. Um, but it's so wonderful to have music when you're doing the pujas. And whenever we do a puja, you might see a lineup of people. And there'll always be someone in the room. If you look a little lost, someone will always show you where to sit. And often there's a, here we provide text, which is a sadhana you look at. And it's in English. It's, pardon me, it's in the Tibetan script with the transliteration, how to pronounce it and then in English underneath with the pronunciation. I'm sorry, that's a translation. Then we, transliteration, then we had to, I'll start over again. Tibetan transliteration, how to say that in English or Chinese, depending on the text. And then lastly, the, the translation of what it says. And we teach a lot of classes that a lot, Lama Tom and Lama Kathy have taught several classes on all the deity practices. And so um, we'll be doing Medicine Buddha here which is my fave, because that's one that I do a great deal. Um, and we're going to be doing, we'll be do green Tara and white Tara here, and Chenrezig, 
we're going to be doing that. When is that going to happen? Anyone know? What? Soon. Okay. So that'll be live instead of, you know, on video. So that'll be fun. So you're all invited to that. And that's the one thing you might see a lot more activity. And there's going to be one person that's going to be making offerings to the shrine that symbolizes all of us. They represent us. And that would be the Chopin. And that would probably be Julaine or other people in the room that are trained in that. So when we do a puja, it's almost like um, a Broadway musical. I think this is why Lama Kathy loves them. I love you, Lama Kathy. <laughs> because we have a setting, you know, we have singing, we have music, and we have action. So, and not to mention mentally, we're making all these beautiful offerings mentally, and we have the support of everyone, a great cast. So I invite you to join in on any of those because they're usually open to the public. And they're a lot of fun, and we'll make sure that you understand over time how it all works because it's really nice. So are there any questions right now? So everyone understand all that they're seeing? Is there anything unusual that we do that you don't understand? You've all got it covered. Okay, then let's pray. Let's say that, let's do the seven branch prayer. Because my class was mostly around just to remove any questions you might have. And, and, and any other time, please ask them. But I thought we would do the seven branch prayer now. Um, the last time I spoke, I talked about accumulating merit, which is, is very important for us um, because of we believe we have been reborn countless number of times. And we are very fortunate at this time to be able to think of others, other beings and their concerns. Seven branch prayer is a beautiful offering prayer. So let's, we're just going to read it together. With complete faith, I bow to all the victorious ones and their sons who abide in the ten directions and the three times. I offer flowers, incense, light, perfume, food, music, and many other things, both in substance and with my imagination. I ask the noble assemblage to accept them. I confess all evil actions that I have done, influenced by the defilements from time without beginning unto now the five that ripen immediately, the 10 non-virtuous acts, and many others. I rejoice in the merit of whatever virtue Shravakas, Pratekya Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, and ordinary people gather throughout the three times. I pray for the wheel of Dharma to be turned, the teachings of the Mahayana and Hinayana, in ways suitable for the different aptitudes and motivations present in sentient beings. I ask the Buddhas not to pass into nirvana, but with great compassion and until samsara is completely empty, to look after all sentient beings who drown in the ocean of sorrow. May whatever merit I have accumulated become a seed for the enlightenment of all beings. Without, without delay, may I become a splendid leader of sentient beings. So this prayer, um, I'm not used to it in English. It's a very beautiful prayer. It is built into most of the practices that we do, not meditation practice, but the pujas I talked about. And this is um, a combination of, we talk about bowing as prostrations or making homage, we make offerings, we confess whatever we've done, we rejoice in merit, 
We ask that Buddhism continually be taught by the Buddhas. It is said if we don't ask them, then they'll go on where they're needed elsewhere. Also, not to have them pass, but to please stay, continue to teach. And lastly, um, to accumulate and offer up whatever merit from everything that we just did to all living beings. So we're, I think we're going to get out early today. I know today is ComFest. But let's just take a quiet moment and offer all of the merit of your generosity of your time, being polite to be here today, your curiosity, your sincerity, all of the wonderful opportunities you've had in your life, your freedoms, your health, Offer that to those at this time that do not have that, particularly in countries full of war or terrible natural calamities, such as in Afghanistan right now. Also, for the world, especially in America, that is dealing with the politics that have shifted very quickly. Offer all of that merit to the entire world. So you don't hold on to it, but you let it flow through you. And lastly, the other prayer we have is the formal dedication of merit. On the second side of the laminate, We'll do both prayers in Tibetan once and then in English once. Sanam Tanche Sepani Tone Pedranam Pamchene Eganachi Palatupai Sipe Sole Jova Jova Jampa Pavo Chita Kimba Dang Kuntu Sampo Deyam De Shinde Deda Kungi Jesu Dalo Chin Gewa Dida Tamjera Tungo In English, by this merit may all attain omniscience, may it defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death, from the ocean of samsara, may I be free, may I free all beings. The courageous Manjushri, who knows everything as it is, Samantabhadra, who also knows in the same way, and all the bodhisattvas that I may follow in their path, I completely dedicate all this virtue. And we'll just have a moment of silence. Thank you, everyone. I hope you have a beautiful day. And remember, the Comfest is still on. My husband and I were there 50 years ago, the very first one, I remember. It was pretty amazing. And if anyone has any questions, I'll be here for a few minutes. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Texum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.